Lucia, when will your book be available on audiobook? I get asked this every day. It's coming. In the meantime, I thought I could drip it to you here, narrated by me, one chapter at a time, starting with the preface. So, here it is. Praised by Robert Cialdini, featured on NPR, and shot to number one new release status on Amazon within three days of release. Oh, and fun fact, I'm one of a very small handful of women authors on the topic. I hope you enjoy my narration of my splashy, sexy, smart, and stylish book, For the Forces of Good, The Superpower of Everyday Negotiation. Chapter 4. Spidey Sense in Negotiation. Planning Meets Interoception. Are you the sort of person who makes a list before going to the grocery store and sticks to the items on the list while in the store? Do you skip the list altogether, grab some produce and staples like milk and eggs, and then browse the frozen and prepared food section for weekly dinner ideas? If you're anything like me, you do both. Plan something of a menu for the week and list ingredients for those recipes, but stay open to something that inspires you as you wind the shopping cart from aisle to aisle. Ooh, pomegranate seeds would be fun in our salads this week. This strikes me as a winning combination of planning and flexibility, which translates well to other facets of life, travel, parenting, group projects. It's no different in negotiation. I emphasized the importance of planning in some detail in the last chapter. It's common to become emotional, confused, or simply tired during the negotiating story arc. Having that plan to anchor and refocus you is key. And it's that anchor that provides you the freedom and comfort to be flexible and trust your instincts in the moment. Look, it's easy to infer a mixed message. These days we are bombarded by catchy pseudo-psychology marketing phrases that tell us to have a growth mindset, lean in, do something that scares you every day, get out of your comfort zone, and some people interpret this type of advice as meaning you can skip the stodgy planning and just go with your gut. But it's the planning stage that actually allows you to pay attention to your gut instincts in the negotiation and feel confident about them. What I'm really talking about is interoception, which is defined as the sense of the state of the body, both conscious and unconscious. You might even call it your spidey sense. Interoception encompasses visceral signaling projected to the brain via neuropathways and typically manifests in the cardiovascular, respiratory, and gastrointestinal systems. In 2021, the New York Times journalist Ezra Klein took a deep dive into this subject in an interview with science writer Annie Murphy-Paul about her book, The Extended Mind. In the interview, Klein and Paul discuss the problem with the long-standing and all-too-dominant analogy of our brain as a computer, that we have taken this ill-suited 
metaphor of the mind and built social infrastructure with it in the way of schools, workplaces, and productivity models that don't fit how a living organism operates. That is what the brain is, a living organism that has evolved over time in many contexts and mostly outdoors and must be understood on its own terms. Cognitive processing is just part of the information our brains supply us, while much more thinking is emanating from within the body and unconsciously. Studies of Wall Street traders identified those who seem to make more money when they're more interoceptively attuned, that is, better at reading their own body signals. When our nervous system is aroused, it's feeding us information. Ignoring these sensations as simply fear or anxiety or inconsistent with leaning in or a growth mindset is no different from dismissing evidence consciously driven by the executive functioning of the brain. Everyday super tip. Don't dismiss the information your body is communicating. I have long cautioned against hailing rational analysis as the best or only method of making decisions or engaging with others in negotiation, in conflict, or in the vagaries of everyday interactions. Those who can harness the powers of the mind and the body and reference them at appropriate moments, well, they are next-level everyday negotiating superstars. And that can be you. If you know you've prepared well for a negotiation, despite all the multi-layered dynamics tumbling toward you during the negotiation, trust the confidence of your preparation and listen to your interoception. At the very least, hit the pause button to allow yourself time to reflect. In very few circumstances do you need to be rushed into a decision. Urgency is commonly manufactured as a pressure tactic. If your body is feeling a sense of stress due to urgency, test the urgency and whether it is a valid factor in the negotiation. How many times have you been casually browsing for an item online and you come upon a website where, coincidentally, everything is 20% off until the end of that day? Oh, how lucky you happened across this website at this serendipitous moment. You had just been casually looking, but now you'd better go ahead and complete the purchase before that deal ends. You have likely been drawn into a classic sales ploy and use of a cognitive trap called the scarcity effect, creating scarcity of time. Act now. This offer won't last. More on mental maps and traps in Chapter 13. Well, maybe and maybe not. If that coupon vanishes tomorrow, another will probably appear soon enough. I can personally vouch for the interoception experience in negotiation. In my career, I've done I don't know how many negotiations and mediations and thousands of depositions. This is the particularly harrowing mechanism during the discovery process of litigation, where a witness is subjected to unforgiving questioning under oath, with their testimony recorded by a certified court reporter. It is not for the faint of heart and should not be undertaken without the assistance of legal counsel. For many years, for every deposition, I kept a log of the attorney on the other side. Their name, the date, 
and a little dossier detailing their overall personality, their level of preparation, their questioning style, clear and organized, or confusing and compound. If the latter, did it seem intentional to disorient the witness, or like just a lack of skill? Did they play nice with the witness? Being deposed is not fun. To the court reporter? To the interpreter? Did they try to sneak in prohibited questions to test me and whether I was paying attention? I was. Did they make small talk? What was going on in their life? Not only did this make them feel good because I was treating them like a human being, but it also benefited my own client that I had built rapport with them. The fact that I kept a log did not mean my curiosity about their lives and my bonding wasn't genuine. It very much was. Everyday super tip. Rapport, rapport, rapport. It never goes out of style. It was no coincidence that I achieved a high settlement rate for clients right then and there on the day of their deposition. Why am I telling you about this dossier and what does it have to do with interoception? I had over a thousand names in that log. I certainly didn't remember everyone over all the years with my conscious mind. Before any deposition, I'd look at what opposing attorney's name appeared on the notice of deposition, and even if I didn't consciously recognize the name, my body would react. I'd feel maybe a sense of contentment wash over me and not know exactly why. Or I'd feel a pit forming in my stomach and wonder, hmm, what's that about? Then I'd open my log and look up the name, read the notes on that person, and think, ah, that explains that feeling of dread. It's not going to be an easy day. My body remembered. This was before I even had heard the word interoception, and it fascinated me. Everyday super tip. I actually thought I was special to experience these sensations, like endowed with extrasensory gifts. Maybe I am, but then so are you. I know now that anyone can tap into the information their own body is sending them. I'll close out this chapter with a bedtime story. Show of hands, how many of you have read and or read to your children Margaret Wise Brown's famous children's book, Good Night moon. I thought so. It turns out Margaret Wise Brown was way ahead of her time in understanding interoception. Goodnight Moon did not first appear on a public library shelf until 1972, 25 years after it was first published. Why? Anna Holmes contributed a detailed portrait of Brown's life in The New Yorker, including a behind-the-scenes journey of how Goodnight Moon came to pass. Brown was a prolific children's author at a time when the expected format of children's literature was to conform to a structured story arc with a morality message. That or a fantastical fairy tale. With Goodnight Moon, Brown soundly rejected this structure and adopted an altogether radical approach. She was fortunate enough to fall in with a dedicated group of avant-garde experimental writers in New York who would audition their draft stories with groups of children. 
employing some unconventional brainstorming techniques, she observed that young children connected with an experience that engaged the senses, and that included objects and characters they could relate to, not fantasy. This came in a later phase of childhood. They didn't care about plot. Instead, small animals, a bunny, a mouse, and everyday objects, a comb, a brush, a lamp. These familiar objects and animals, combined with the flat, saturated, primary-hued Matisse-like illustrations of Clement Hurd, and a studied focus on the sound of the rhythmic, repetitive, almost hypnotic words, all contributed to an experience that felt just plain good in children's bodies. It felt comforting, safe, like a cozy blanket. And it was absolutely radical at the time. You might even say seductive. What does this have to do with negotiation or your life? Well, it's all connected. We are all connected. You may be necessarily focused on the negotiations unfolding in your everyday life, but at the same time, throughout the centuries and continuing now, people are engaged in broader negotiations with society, challenging the status quo, asking, does this framework still work? Is there some other approach? Margaret Wise Brown defied many societal rules and expectations as an individual, and certainly norms in the publishing business in the 1930s through 1950s. Author of over a hundred manuscripts of children's stories, she typically worked on each for a couple of years while researching and testing language on children before she considered them complete. Ah, interoception meets planning. The different schools of thought surrounding the appropriate content of children's literature remained in a standoff that lasted decades. It's hard to imagine now that we accept and cherish Goodnight Moon, translated into at least a dozen languages, as a mainstay of a children's bookshelf. Sharpen your everyday negotiating superpower through planning, tuning into your spidey sense, and gazing beyond your own backyard to the larger negotiations we are witnessing right now as society evolves. It's actually terribly exciting. And if all that stimulation makes it hard to fall asleep, I can recommend a good bedtime story. Thanks for listening. Negotiation isn't just for business, it's everybody's business, every day, and it can be your everyday superpower. Stick with me here, and you can find my best-selling book on Amazon, For the Forces of Good, The Superpower of Everyday Negotiation.